Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Mark Zakree. He has written and produced hundreds of hours of series of TVs, pilots, and feature films for most of the major studios and networks. Mark has just founded Space Command Studios, a production company based in Los Angeles and London dedicated to making TV series and films that are socially relevant and inspiring. Among the many projects currently in preparation and pre-prep or post, he and his wife Elaine are writing, directing, producing Space Command, that epic science fiction series, and their showrunners network, a slate of six TV series co-created with some of the top creative showrunners working in television today. His latest book is called Greenlighting Yourself. He's also written The Twilight Zone Companion. Mark, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm great, George, and it's great to be on the show. It's great to hear your wonderful voice. Five months of a writer's strike is over. Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Are the writers happy with the deal? Yes, yes, they are. And uh, But, I mean, what a science fiction world, world we live in where one of the issues was you know, AI writing movie and TV scripts. I mean, you know, that if Rod Serling were here, he would certainly be writing about that, no doubt. Though, he, though actually, he did write about it back on the Twilight Zone about computers taking over and robots taking over. So he would be no stranger to this idea. How come this thing lasted so long? Well, you know, there, there's there's these big companies that own the studios, the networks. There's only a few of them, and they're big monoliths. And so I think they wanted to wear the writers down a little, kind of have them exhaust their savings a bit uh fortunately you know elaine and i were just fine and it wasn't you know i mean i've been through 
many strikes before, but uh, but I, I'm I'm really glad it came to a resolution and that the writers uh, got what they what they needed. So it's uh, it's it's really the right solution. Oh, that's good. Did your uh, Space Command show continue to produce, or did you have to put yeah. that on hold? No, no. We're interestingly enough, we're uh, as well as being in the Writers Guild, uh, we're also SAG signatory because we hire actors who are in the in the union, of course. And SAG gave us a waiver where we could continue shooting because we were a small independent company that uh, that had a long term relationship with them. They were just, they were mainly just striking the big networks and studios. Those are sort of the uh, the guys with all the, the the big bags of money. Are you bullish on Hollywood, Mark? Do you think things are going the right way now? Well, you know, I think uh, the moment uh, an artificial intelligence writes a hit movie, that's going to be very problematic, you know. But uh, but basically, I mean, you know, I'm living the dream, George. I'm I'm writing and directing and producing this wonderful space going show. It's a, it was my dream since I was ten years old and went on the Star Trek set when I was a kid. And uh, so, um, as you know, so for me, I'm able to create what I want to create and work with people I want to work with. So. So I'm certainly happy, and I can reach a, a vast audience, millions of people, via my YouTube channel. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's it's pretty wonderful. Great. We'll talk about the YouTube channel in a second, and Space Command. Yeah. But tell us about Green Lighting yourself, the book you wrote last year. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, when I started in the industry, when I, I sold my first short story when I was 19, and was writing for TV by the time I was 22 or 23, writing the Twilight Zone book start when I was 21, and. Um, uh, back then, the only way you could reach a, a mass audience was through the studios and the networks if you wanted to work in TV or film. Well, now that's completely different. Now, if you just have a, a you know, a YouTube channel and you crowdfund on Kickstarter and, you know, you have the internet and all of that, it's a totally different world. And I run a round table where I mentor a lot of young people in the industry and, uh, and they were so frustrated. They were saying, oh, well, the studios and the networks won't let me have my dream. And I said, you know, um, Science fiction never predicted that everyone would have a video camera in their pocket. And so I wanted to share with them what I've learned, which is the new way of doing TV. I mean, my fans have given me over $4 million to shoot Space Command, open my own studio. And I wanted to share that with everyone who wanted a career in film or TV or even books and, uh, and say it's not, it's not a, my a mystery. It's like a cookbook. <laughs> like, like, like they say in, uh, you know, in, in, uh, to serve man, it's a cookbook. <laughs> and, yeah, that's uh, right. And so, so it's, so it's really wonderful to be able to, and it's not just my story of how to break in and, and have a thriving career. I also talk to a lot of my friends who run a lot of the different TV shows and, uh, and found their, their stories as well that were very, like Guillermo del Toro and Ray Bradbury, some of the things Ray told me. You know, he was a dear friend of, and and we were both huge fans of his. You you and I, and uh, yeah. and so there were stories that Ray told me about how he broke in and built his career, and I thought that would be of use to the to the the, the aspiring um, writers and directors and actors. I've still got his uh, letter that he sent me on my bulletin board back in Los Angeles when we wrote yeah. that editorial about his uh, "I Sing the Body Electric." Yes, yeah, one of his yeah. classic uh, Twilight Zones. Yeah, a wonderful guy, a wonderful guy. Are science fiction minds the same as they were years ago, or are they different? They're different. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the reasons I did Space Command was because I wanted to write something that would inspire me, like the original Star Trek and Twilight Zone and Outer Limits inspired me when I was a kid. You know, I wanted something that would inspire the audience and say we have a future worth living in. I think a lot of the writers now 
uh, they're tending to look inward rather than toward the stars. You know, Ray Bradbury and um, Robert Heinlein, and Arthur C. Clarke, and Isaac Asimov, they were visionaries. And this, when I was growing up, the space program was hand-in-glove with the science fiction writers. And, uh, and so it really felt like they were limitless possibilities. And uh, I still believe in that. But, um, but a lot of my, my friends who write science fiction sort of much, have much darker visions. And I, I don't think that's necessarily helpful uh, when you're sending a message to the audience. You don't want to say, oh, there's no hope. <laughs> because then there's nothing they can do with that other than curl in a ball and moan softly. Whereas if you say, yes, we can reach across boundaries and barriers, if we come with a good heart and compassion, we can create a future worth living in. And uh, that's, that's always been the message of what, what I've been up to. What got you to fall in love with the Twilight Zone, Mark? Oh, my God. What's not to love? You know, I mean, George, exactly. it's, uh, it's, such an, it's such an amazing show. You know, I produced the Twilight Zone uh, Blu-ray set, and I was able to do 52 audio commentaries uh, on, on the episodes. And to sit down with those directors and those actors and those writers and the producers and just study these episodes. They're so, they're just jewels, you know, and you can watch them over and over and over again because they're, they're deeply human and deeply, I mean, Rod Sterling had such insight into the human heart and he, and, and he and the other writers told such great stories, you know, Kick the Cam by George Clayton Johnson is such a wonderful episode. So many of them are. And, uh, and you just, uh, you know, they're gorgeously, acted and written and directed and shot the music by people like Bernard Herrmann and Jerry Goldsmith, uh, who became, you know, who were the great movie uh, composers. They're composing for Twilight Zone because the scripts were so good. That's what, that's what got the, everyone else's quality to come aboard because Rod was such an amazing writer. Now, Rod oversaw everything. What percent of yeah. the shows did he write? Uh, there were 156 episodes total over a five-year period, and he wrote 92 of them himself. Wow. That's huge a huge number. And, uh, and he was also writing things like Seven Days in May, the movie, during this period. So it's a, a, just an amazing output. He was, but he would dictate his scripts. He would, he would lie by the swimming pool back of his house and, and speak into a recorder. And, and then his secretary would type up the scripts and make little hand corrections. And so he could write very, very fast. And uh, but just amazing, amazing uh, range and depth. I mean, week after week, uh, pouring out these phenomenal scripts, just uh no one, no one has ever equaled that that um, you know output ever. Did it take him a while to sell the Twilight Zone? Yeah, yeah, it did. Interestingly enough, he never really wanted to be a, a science fiction writer. That wasn't his ambition. But when he he was the big dramatist of television in the fifties, but every time he tried to write about race or um, you know social issues or politics, the censors wouldn't let him. They would the notes would render the script uh, meaningless, at least to him. And so even though he's the highest paid writer in television, he wanted something where he could slip these messages about humanity through and the censors wouldn't notice it. So he didn't realize if he wrote science fiction um, th that he could get past the censors, which worked perfectly. And uh, But he wrote four pilots for Twilight Zone before the final one got the series greenlit. And uh, he was just not going to say, you know, he wasn't going to stop. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. And, uh, and thank God for all of us because... Uh, Twilight Zone is uh, is such a masterpiece of his creation. I mean, all the things he wrote in the fifties were very good. You know, Requiem for a Heavyweight and so forth. But they're they're they wouldn't have established him the way Twilight Zone did. So it was a blessing for both Rod and and, and for the public, of course. Whose idea was it to do it as an anthology with him as the host? 
Well, the funny thing was, he, he always envisioned it as an anthology. Uh, during the 50s, when he sort of grew up in television as a writer, there were a lot of uh, anthology shows. And so he was very comfortable with the half-hour form, and uh, he liked that sort of television short story. But he wasn't intended to be the host at all. Originally, the original pilot was a guy that was narrated by a guy named Westbrook von Voorhees, who had done the, the March of Time, and it had this big, booming voice. And when they looked at the pilot, it was really not uh, appropriate to Twilight Zone. In fact, uh, on the box set of the Twilight Zone box set I produced, they have that alternate version of the pilot. Where is everybody with that with that narration? But um, but then they they wanted um, Orson Welles, and he was too expensive, and and they just didn't know who to hire. And finally, Rod said, "Well, how about me?" And everyone just laughed at him, you know, and they fell out of their chairs. But uh, but they had no other choice really, so they tried it. And of course, he was the perfect choice. It became a second career for him as a narrator and host. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Is Hollywood come on, coming up with these great theme songs that we had for all the shows in those days? I mean, we remember the no. Twilight Zone theme. We remember Bonanza. Yeah. All these great oh, yeah. shows had a theme tied to it. I don't hear yeah. that anymore. No, no, there was this great period from like the late 50s through the 60s where you have these kind of real jazzy scores, really interesting scores. And uh, uh, on all sorts of shows, The Fugitive, you name it. I mean, and, uh, and Outer Limits had amazing music, too. Uh, there was just a talent pool and they were willing to do things very experimentally. I mean, even if you look at Bernard Herrmann's uh, scores for Twilight Zone, he would try out things with that small little little orchestra and then you'd see him fully fully exploring those same themes in the features he was doing. So this would almost be like a composer's sketch pad. And so these, these were really wonderful composers. And uh, 
I, I love those themes. When I was a kid, I actually recorded a whole bunch of TV themes on a cassette just to listen to them over and over and over again. And it was uh, really fun, really, really fun. That's great. Uh, how did you get interested in the Twilight Zone? What was it that sparked your interest? Well, I was always sort of a science fiction kid, you know, from, from when I was little. And uh, Twilight Zone, uh, it was syndicated in the afternoons here in Los Angeles. Uh, five five days a week, and so I would I lived around the corner from my elementary school, so I would come home and it would and turn on the TV and there it would be, and uh, and they were just wonderful. I mean, all of the kids watched Twilight Zone. We all knew those stories and we'd share them with each other and, around the campfire, as it were, and uh, and they were just you know it, it, the great thing about Twilight Zone is you know you you can be a kid, you can be an adult, you can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be any background at all, and those stories will still resonate. They'll still pack a punch you know and uh and and they hold up i mean it's amazing i i am to this day i'm talking to young people who just love the show and uh you know a lot of other things they don't want to see black and white but for some reason twilight zone black and white fits it perfectly and of course the, the visuals are astonishing it's the best black and white photography ever done on television what was the name of the show that went to color after after twilight zone that he did Night Gallery. Night Gallery, that's right. Yeah, and it, it's got some good episodes, but he didn't have the same control over it. He was very unhappy, and uh, and so, uh, but it's, you know, but still, it, there's there's some, some jewels amongst the, <laughs> the lesser lesser efforts on that show. And the batting average on Twilight Zone was much higher. And you, you met your buddy Billy Moomy, didn't you, when he was I, a kid? Yes, yes. I was homesick one day, and I was a fan of Lost in Space, and I pulled out the the big phone directory, the white pages, which they don't have anymore. And uh, I called the stars of Lost in Space, and mostly it was just people with the same names. But Billy's uh, dad was in the phone in that phone book, so I called, and um, Billy's mom mom answered. I said, Billy there? And he came to the phone, and, um, you know, we as soon as I was over the cold, I was staying home with a cold in my pajamas, and seven years old. And uh, But as soon as I was well, my mom took me to his house, and we traded comic books, and then, of course, I interviewed him when we did the Twilight Zone Companion, and I worked with him when I wrote the Babylon 5, and I cast him in Space Command. And, and it's just, you know, being able to take this journey together over all these years has been just really um, an honor and an enormous fun. What's his role in Space Command? He plays a character named Greg Mazzi. He's sort of like the, a combination of Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. He, he creates these artificial humans uh, that he views as machines and Ultimately, uh, one of them, played by Doug Jones uh, of Star Trek Discovery, rebels, and he becomes basically the Spartacus of the androids and leads a rebellion. And uh, but ultimately, Greg Mazzi sees sort of the error of his ways, and he continues throughout the show as a character who has many adventures and uh, is really quite quite lovable in its sort of flinty, brilliant way. So it's uh, it's really really fun. And, how, uh, how, how many episodes of Space Command have you done now? So far, we just finished shooting the sixth hour of the 12-hour season. and uh, But we now have all the sets, all the costumes, all the props we need to shoot the rest of the season. So now, you know, we're just ongoingly raising money, and now we're starting to talk to the distributors. Now that the strike is over, I can actually take the show out and, you know, and talk to the buyers. And uh, But meantime, I can show it on Mr. Sci-Fi. I can sell the Blu-rays and DVDs, you know, all of that stuff. And uh, for the sixth hour, we just finished the rough cut of it, and it's it's really... It's really fun. It's really got wonderful sequences. They're giant robots and, you know, eight foot tall aliens and alien spaceship sets. And it's, it's everything a kid could want. 
it. <laughs> and you always wanted to do it with private funding. Why didn't you want to go after the uh, networks or s- bigger yeah. venues for that? Well, yeah, with, because I've written for all the major studios and networks, hundreds of hours of TV. And, uh, you know, and I've been very lucky. I've gotten a lot of work done that I really am very proud of that via that route. But with this, I didn't want to take the risk that they would cut me off at script or cut me off at, at, at pilot or give me notes that I would have to listen to because they were writing the checks and those notes might ruin the show. So I never raised money before, but I, I because I mentor all these young people, they were talking about crowdfunding and Kickstarter. I said, well, let's, let's try it. And our first campaign, our target was $75,000 to raise in two months. We raised that in three days. And ultimately in that campaign, we raised $221,000. My God. And so, yeah. And so I, I, so I raised about half the money from crowdfunding. In fact, we're about to start a crowdfunding campaign, uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, for the box set, to finish the box set, uh, the first six hours of space command. But I've also been selling investment shares for $7,500 each. And people from all around the world have stepped up, um, to buy shares and, and help get this, this vision made. And, and if the show sells to a buyer, they'll get a return on investment. But that's not really why they're doing it. They're doing it because they want something hopeful. They want something that's got, that, that's about honor and bravery and, mm-hmm. um, empathy. And I, I always talk about active empathy, active compassion. It's not enough to just look across the street and see some like guy who's like down on his luck and say, Oh, that poor man and walk on. You have to, you have to take action for compassion to be, um, Worth, worth, worth having. You know, it's not enough just to feel bad that someone's suffering. You have to do something about it. And, uh, and that's where, where it's not a political issue at all. It's you should come from a good heart. And, and there are people with good hearts on every part of the, the spectrum. You know, I don't need to get into political arguments with people. I'd rather, you know, say we all want a good future for our kids. We all want, you know, uh, people to not be suffering. We all want, you know, everyone to get a square break, you know. So there's things we can all agree on. And it's kind of cool for people to say, I own part of that film. Yes, yes. Well, you know, our investors are welcome to come on the set. Uh, On the set, we'll put them in a spacesuit and put them on on camera. (laughs) Uh, We we invite them to Comic-Con. We get them in on Comic-Con and take them to a nice meal. And they're always welcome to be part of whatever we're doing. And, uh, and you know, it's it's funny because when I went to that Star, Star Trek set when I was a kid and sat in the captain's chair, and stood on the transporter and all of those things. It was just such a magical world. And now when I step onto my own spaceship sets, we've got three, we've got three sound stages now, two small ones and a big one. And, uh, you know, 30 spacesuits, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just so amazing. It's magical. And so when I bring people to the studio and see their eyes light up, it's just, um, it's really, really a thrill. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 